0: Folks, this uh, key was turned in, um, uh, it was found early on, so it might be uh, a child's, but it might be something you recognize, so you might need that. Okay, go back with me, if you will, um, to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, and um, I introduced this uh, last week, and I told you then that I thought it was important, I, th- I still think it is. Uh, it has to do with this whole, uh, con- not concept, but theological position called sanctification. I think you know what that is. It's everything in between the time I became a Christian and the time I die. That's the, the Christian life. And I, I told you then that um, <clears throat> these, these last three verses, we've, we've, we've covered two of them, guys. We covered them back in May, um, verses 24 and 25. And so if you hear things tonight that you think you've heard before, you know, I can't imagine you remember anything I said for six months. But um, uh, if you hear things that sound familiar, that's probably true. But the reason that I'm going back over them is because of my whole understanding of verse 26. And, you know, I I won't get to that until two weeks from tonight. So you've got to come three straight weeks, tonight and next week in the congregational meeting, and then we'll we'll put this whole thing together. But the... um, this, this section on sanctification really begins at verse 24. It comes on the heels of two very lengthy lists of the works of the flesh versus the, the fruit of the Spirit. And then he says, and I told you, I, I, I call them exhortations. They're not exactly exhortations, but they're close to that. He says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. It was really an insight to verse 26 that made me want to come back here and, and go over this again. So um, you'll understand more when we finally get to 26. All right. Tonight, take a look uh, quickly at, um, at verse 24. It contains one of those exhortations that I, that I said is not exactly an exhortation, but it is kind of an exhortation. It, it has to do with <clears throat> crucifying the flesh. Christians are called to crucify the flesh. Now, what in the world does that mean? Um, that's biblical language. It's, uh, it's language that, I, I'm afraid, has, has lost its import. Um, what does it mean to crucify the flesh? That's what I want to cover tonight. That's all I want to cover tonight. Is just What does it mean to crucify the flesh? And then we'll add to that when we come back to um, verse 25 next week, Lord willing. But guys, um, before we get to the word crucify, let's look at the word flesh. What is, what is it that's supposed to be crucified? And that's, that's critical. And actually, that's where we spend the most of our time. Um, guys, what is the flesh? You know um, that as a Christian, I, I have come to life by the Spirit, and so there are two natures within me. There is flesh and spirit. There are two combatants that wage war inside of me. Um, my, the battle that I have is far more complex than that of a non-Christian because he only has one nature. I have two. I have the life of the Spirit, and I have the life of the flesh, and they are at war. Now, what is this flesh thing? I want to read you. I'm going to read you a, uh, a definition of flesh that I got out of a commentary. Here it is. Flesh um, is all we are by natural birth. Does that help you? All we are by natural birth. Okay, go crucify that. Go crucify all that we are by natural birth. What does that mean? I would suggest to you that that's an unhelpful term, that's an unhelpful defi- definition, and it's rather vague. Uh, for instance, do I crucify my personality? You know, I've got a personality. It's kind of a bizarre one, you know, kind of like yours. Um, um, but am I, do I change personalities when I become a Christian? No. I just eliminate sin from the personality that, God, that, I, that I was born with. So if, if I crucify all that I am by natural birth, that would be personality too, and that's not true. So, I'm saying, okay, we, 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 we throw these terms around. Um, okay, flesh means all that I am by natural birth. Oh, what does that mean for heaven's sakes? It's just kind of a churchy little phrase, I'm afraid. But I, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm not saying it's just not helpful. What am I to crucify for heaven's sakes? And that is what I want us to look at. This, that, all I am by natural birth is not going to help me. But I hope this will, what, you're, what I'm about to tell you. Um, but guys, there is an insight that you have got to get, and it is key. I went over this in May, but you've, I'm going to go over it again. This is, this is key. It's key in, in a lot of ways, but it's key in, in certainly helping me understand what the flesh is. I want you to look with me at verse 16. Verse 16. Um, But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, you see there's the flesh. So the life of the Spirit is opposed to flesh in verse 16. Okay, the life of the Spirit is opposed to the flesh in verse 16. But notice what he does in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the thing that opposes the life of the Spirit in verse 18 is law. I'm suggesting to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that is two ways of saying the same thing. Um, The thing that opposes a life in the Spirit is a life that we seek to live out by law. Um, you see guys the the sinful nature within me wants to live out my life according to law it comes naturally to me it's my default mode I want to live out a life where I can be my own savior so even after I'm converted (coughs) the flesh trends back towards law and it continues to reject this notion of grace. We are far more comfortable with law than we are with grace. Um, we, we, want to, we want to earn it. We want to deserve it. We want to be rewarded for it. We want to take credit for it. That comes naturally. But a life of grace is, is something altogether supernatural. But this, this desire to take credit and earn it and deserve it and merit it, and that's a life of law. It's a life of flesh. You know, I used this six months ago. I'll use it again. Just to, One of the things, uh, just to illustrate my point, um, I have people or oh, I've, I've had people say to me, you know, uh, the reason that I've got a good marriage is because, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I, we, uh, we have a date night once a week. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am very glad that you have a date night once a week, but that's not why you have a good marriage. Do you see what that statement says? I have a good marriage because I earned my good marriage. I worked for it. I deserve it. I'm rewarded with a good marriage because I'm smart. And we had a date night. Listen, have a date night. I think that's a great idea. But that's not the explanation for your good marriage. The explanation is found by way of gift, it's found by way of grace. But we continue to reject all of this freeness, this gift of God. And we continue to try and justify, we we continue to try and find ways and find strategies by which I can prove my worth by the accomplishment of those things. They're strategies. They are in one sense self-salvation strategies. Not saving me eternally, but saving me now. Now. I have worth because of this. I have identity that's tied to that. I try to find things and I develop strategies that will help me come up with a sense of my own value. That's flesh, ladies and gentlemen. It's It's law. Um, I am always, I find myself always in search of things that will give me worth. It may be money, it may be kids, it may be family, it may be success, it may be thinness, it may be beauty. But I'm in search of those things that I can prove my identity and worth without Him. That's law. I am going to establish my worth without any reference. I'm going to do it via my performance. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the thing to be crucified. There is a sense in which the sin of all sins is the lack of trust in God's grace and goodness. And instead, we opt for law. We're far more comfortable with that. We're far more comfortable with establishing our identity by strategies that I've developed that come right out of the flesh. This is how I will be Happy or valuable, I will get this. Um, it's a desire to save myself. That is, save my sense of worth, save my sense of identity, without God, or establish my worth, or make my life work. However you want to say it, without Him, that, ladies and gentlemen, is flesh. Um that sinful nature that is still within us, it generates all of these ideas as to how I might meet my own needs without God. You know, I I thought of this, and I'm not sure it's a good illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. So let's just say you've got a daughter and your daughter falls in love with the wrong guy in your, your estimation as a parent. So us to the rescue. And here's what we start doing we start dropping little hints about um, how slovenly he is and how irresponsible he is. Because we'll fix this. We'll fix this via pure flesh. I'll fix this. Here's another strategy I have, and I know how to... Get this thing over with. All I got to do is just undercut him and show her, you know, by little things that I drop and say that what a creep he is. How's that working for you? <laughs> How did that work for you? <laughs> it's just, it's just searching for ways to make my life m- more workable without any reference to gifts and grace. Um I'm going to get this, I'm going to have this, I'm going to be this by law. And that's flesh. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the thing that has to be crucified. That's flesh. Now, what does the crucify part mean? You know, I I mentioned last week the Da Vinci Code about the guy, the albino that beat himself with a chain. That's not crucifying the flesh. But maybe giving up something for Lent is. You know, that ain't it either. Uh, Or maybe... I just joined some... I mean, I'm, I'm trying to deal with my flesh. I'm trying to crucify it, you see. And so here's, how here's my strategy. I'm going to join a just say no campaign. Um, and guys, to just say no without examining the motives behind my desires just cr- creates a whole new form of slavery. Gang, do you remember it ran through the evangelical world uh, and I, I haven't heard of her in quite a while. But uh, uh, the youth programs were getting the kids to sign um, uh, a purity contract. I'm not going to have any sex before marriage, and they sign. I'm just going to say no. Well, those have disappeared, thankfully, because, ladies and gentlemen, just to try and change my behavior without addressing what's on the inside of me will never work. Um, the flesh has to do with my heart. It's a heart that is afraid to trust God. And, it, and so it tries to manipulate life in such a way that I can make it work without any kind of grace ever mentioned. Now, here's what it means, guys. I've I, I told you what the flesh is. Here's what it means to crucify it it's a process of identifying and dismantling all of these strategies that I use to save me and to make my life work and to give myself worth and to demonstrate my identity. Um, I have to identify these things and destroy the attracting power that, though, that law has over me at the motivational level, not the behavioral level. Gang, to, to, try, and, to try and proceed in this life of sanctification at the behavioral level Is the evangelical life of choice. I just go to church a lot. I memorize scripture. I read my Bible once a day. And I, you know, that is just changing behaviors without ever addressing the thing that's on the inside at the motivational level. Gang, that is pure flesh trying to make myself into something by working on the outside in. It is at the motivational level where change occurs. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we do nothing but address behaviors and not the heart, and none of that will ever produce much of anything but Pharisaism. And I will say this to you too. Most not all, not not most. I'll change the word. A lot of Christian counseling addresses right stays right there at the behavioral level, never reaching the motivational level. It's just trying to change your behaviors on the outside. Uh, you've got low self esteem. Do you you say? Well, okay. Well, then take trumpet lessons and become an excellent trumpet player. Then you'll have you know, guys. That's that's just. That's behavioral solutions that will never, never produce anything. We've got to ask not only what, what, what is it that we're doing is wrong, but we've got to ask why. And here's why. And guys, I hope you listen to me because I, I think this is as important as anything that. Why do we choose that? We do so because we believe. That there is something that we need that God will not give us. God just isn't good. I have an unmet need that he simply refuses to meet. And if I only had that, then I could fill up my inner vacuum. If I had that, then I would be happy. Or then I would be a somebody. Or then I would be successful if I only had that. And because he refuses to give it to me, I'm going to have to take this matter into my own hands. I'm going to have to develop another strategy that will help me fill up this vacuum that I have inside. And so I'm going to go out and take trumpet lessons. I'm going to get a hitting coach. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to be back in a size four before Easter. Because then, then I'll have that thing that God simply refuses to give me. And he refuses to give it to me because he's not good. I have to have this, whatever it is, or I have no value. And that thing, whatever it is, becomes now my pseudo-savior. That's the thing that's going to make my life good. But God won't give it to me. So I must do it. I must get it. I must have it. And to get it, there's very little I won't do. And it all it all starts because we're we're convinced somehow that if God were good, He would give me this, but He hadn't given it to me, and thus he is not good, okay, guys. I've given you two definitions for I've sought to, flesh, strategies that I have developed that enable me to demonstrate my worth, my value, my whatever, by performance. That's called law. That's called flesh. Um, and I've told you why. We, uh, we develop those strategies, and our heart is oh so willing to go along with it, <laughs> you know, I think I've told you this before, but Calvin said that the heart is a veritable manufacturing plant of idols. You can spit out those things and those strategies and those ideas and those schemes <laughs> just by the minute. And so it's that I'm called to crucify. Now let me tell you, <clears throat> let me give you, you know, you, everybody loves a list. And this I haven't said to you before. But I want to give you a, I don't know, I hate to do this because it's all, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four, and now I'm, I'm, I've crucified I, my flesh. I, this, is just, this is just a place to start, guys. It's just a place to start. I told you that you identify and destroy those, those things, those, um, uh, those strategies that take me away from dependence and reliance upon the gifts of God. Okay, So having done that, well first of all, the first thing that you've got to realize is that this battle is not outward, it's inward. It does not have to do with your behavior, it has to do with your heart. Your heart is sick, just like mine. And your heart is used to, loves to, prone to, tends to, default to this. I got a daughter that's in love with the wrong guy. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> I can do it. First of all, we, 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 <clears throat> we understand that the battle is internal, not external. The flesh that we're this is the inner man, it's the heart that's the problem. Secondly, the most prominent weapon we have at our disposal against our own flesh is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Scriptures. So every time I am tempted to come up with my own self-salvation strategies, what I I hope to do is that I turn to what God has said, not some kind of strategy that I can pull off by strength of will, you watch this, she'll be breaking up with him before Thanksgiving after I get through with her. Mm. That's the way we do it. Guys, when I am tempted to do that, the best resource I have is to return to the promises of God. And I match the cravings of my flesh with the instructions and the promises that God has made me. Third, it is as I um, find these promises and instructions that it begins to change what Jonathan Edwards calls my affections. They're just emotions. Um... That, that my inner world begins to change because they're being brought more and more in conformity with the promises and the instructions that are find here. When those affections begin to change, that should lead me more and more to a life of repentance. Guys, the first great principle of holy living is the decisiveness of your initial repentance. So nobody could do you a better favor than to teach you the law, the Ten Commandments. And maybe they will show you just how far we fall short. Guys, um, you know the you know, the, the seventh commandment is about adultery. The sixth commandment is about murder. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't say thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt do no murder. Do you know <clears throat> that I am not a murderer? I've never taken a life, not one. How about that? <laughs> I know you're comforted. But if you read Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, thou have, you have heard it said that thou shalt not uh, uh, murder, but I say unto you, And then he begins to include things like anger and contempt and superiority, an air of superiority, all in one little paragraph, three or four verses, which tells you what the law really means. And so you know what I'm in the room with tonight? A room full of murderers. Once I understand the depth of my sin, then maybe my repentance will be more decisive. There is a salvific repentance. That is a repentance that starts the Christian life. But there is an ongoing sanctifying repentance. And as my affections change and, be, and they're brought more and more into conformity with what, what i found in here then I find myself more frequently in a posture of repentance, which is exactly what Martin Luther intended with the first of the 95 theses, that repentance was to be a way of life for us. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I have an assignment for you. It'll take you all of 35 seconds. I want you to go home tonight and I want you to read Psalm 15. Psalm 15 verse 1 opens up, Lord, who will dwell in your holy hill? Who will dwell on your, on your holy mountain? The question is, in essence, Lord, who's going to heaven And the next four, five, or six verses gives you a description of the people that are going to heaven. Now go match yourself against that. Go, 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 go. And you know what it'll do? It'll make a repenter out of you. The first law of holy living, guys, has to do with the decisiveness of our repentance. Repentance is something to be maintained ongoingly. Um, if we understood what Luther understood, we would, find, we would find ourselves more frequently repenting. But you know what else we would find among us? more humility. And do you know what we would find less of among us? Pretense. Pretending to be altogether. When if you go read Psalm 15 and you let that marinate in your soul for a bit. You'll never pretend again that you got it all together. Psalm 15. It's eight verses. Read it tonight. Let's pray together. Our Father, I, I do pray that you'll remind us that what we have is a propensity to live life by law. And it's sucking the life out of us spiritually. Um, Would you show us the beauties of grace all over again? Not simply grace to save us. Most people in this room know that part. But would you show us the beauties of grace to sanctify us? Would you show us how wrong we are to try and manage life without you, giving vent to our flesh, would you you work in us a greater sense, a greater spirit of, a greater posture of repentance? Because as Luther said, Lord, it is indeed to be a way of life for us. But on the heels of repentance, we find our refuge in the grand promises of God. Do that for us, Father, and make us more like the Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen.